Hello, I'm James Fitzsimons, and welcome to The Career Scoop, a podcast all about career progression, advice, and experiences aimed at assisting those who are in career transition. Today, my guest is Derek DC. Derek is Affiliate Professor of Organizational Behavior at ANSIAD in Fontainebleau, near Paris. His interests include leadership development, burnout, and resilience, the impact of emotionally demanding tasks on work groups. His research and practice in these areas are informed by a systems psychodynamics approach that takes into account how group tasks, organizational structures, and cultures are affected by and affect individuals' experience at and of work. Derek works regularly in leadership development programs for high potentials and senior executives at ANSIAD and has contributed to the open and in-company executive programs as well as to the full-time MBAs at the Copenhagen Business School in Denmark and IMD in Switzerland. He has given input on the psychodynamics of organizations to clinical psychology doctoral program at Trinity College Dublin. He is also a varied coaching and consulting practice, currently including individual work and corporate leaders and works with teams in the technology sector and in entrepreneurial ventures. Derek brings to all his work a particular focus on the personal benefits and costs of authenticity, effectiveness and success. He supports executives in developing functional approaches to self-care and resilience when dealing with jobs and tasks that require personal presence and intense emotional investment. Over the past decade, he has worked with corporations and executives in a wide range of sectors, including construction, pharmaceuticals, fashion, technology, and professional services. Prior to and alongside his work in executive education and development, Derek spent many years working as a director in healthcare delivery. His particular area of expertise was child sexual abuse. He led a multidisciplinary team offering forensic and therapeutic services to vulnerable children and their families. His work in this area taught him the importance of sound management and effective self-care in service delivery. Derek holds a doctorate in clinical psychology from Trinity College Dublin and BA and MA degrees in psychology and University College Dublin and also trained to the Travelux Clinic in London, gaining a Master's in Organisational Consultancy. In 2011, he was granted the title of Honorary Associate Professor of the Institute of Work, Health and Organisation with the University of Nottingham. He consults regularly to group relations conferences in Europe and the United States. He is married and has three young sons. It's great to have you on the podcast Career Scoop today. Uh, thanks for coming in. And you're in uh, France at the moment, in Fontainebleau. That's right. That's right. Yeah, I'm a professor here in in NCAD. That that that's great. And and I've read your bio and and, and I've shared with with our listeners at the start. Uh, working with victims of child sexual abuse, and then moving to teaching and coaching business leaders from around the world. Would you just share a, a bit of that journey for us? Because it's it's very provocative. Uh, sure. Um, uh, working well, I, w- I, I was working in uh, St Clair's unit in Temple Street for about fourteen years, um, and I was in charge for the last six. Uh, so I, w- I was a clinical director there for for the last six years before I moved to Fontainebleau. Um, and my interest was always in. Um, well, working with kids primarily, but but my interest grew um, 
in in staff dynamics uh, and working with staff dynamics and how staff dynamics uh, and how people related uh, in in service of their work uh, sort of predicted many things. Uh, so that kind of interest, I've noticed particular patterns in our staff um, which got in our way of work. Um, and I think my, my leadership uh, period there was very much focused on that, uh, helping our dynamics to be cleaner, uh, healthier, uh, more, more productive, more efficient, um, more human, um, which was within the context of... Uh, it's a, the, the Working in sexual abuse is, is a bit like chronic crisis, um, I guess that's what it feels like. Um, so it's it's a very very important work. It's very very difficult work. It's very very demanding work, um, and you know, uh, it's it's work that means that meant a lot to me. Means a lot to me. I have a, a huge amount of respect for um, all of the services involved in um, addressing addressing the problem of child abuse. Um, where I how did I end up here is is probably on the surface um, a bit odd, uh, you know, going from a, a clinical service to a you know to a business school, but uh, it makes sense to me. Um, for a few a couple of years before I left Temple Street, I used to look after my own leadership development um, by working on experiential leadership development programs in in NCAD, in IMD, in Copenhagen Business School. And this would involve going out for a three, four day program, um, working intensively with, with, um, with, well, on leadership development programs, and then going back to my, to my real job. So it was, it was kind of a, I don't know, um, both a, a very very interesting piece of work, but but also I, I was in, interested in developing myself as a leader. So it was a bit sneaky. I was I was getting access to all of this uh, leadership input, but but not paying paying for any of it, um, but actually getting paid to do it. Uh, so I fell in with a with a group of people um, who dedicate their lives uh, to the art and practice of leadership development, and this tribe. I'd say there's about 25 of us, 26 of us, a mix of professors, uh, consultants, coaches. Um, they're my they're my network, they're they're my community. Um, and that community started uh, for me very much in about 2007, 2008. Uh, big changes in 2008, actually, personally. Um, but uh, yeah, that, that was a busy year. Um, and then the opportunity arose to come out here to NCAD, which is known as one of the toughest places in the world to teach. Um, and a, an opportunity came up to, to come out and take, teach the MBAs twice um, as an adjunct. Uh, a friend of mine engineered this. My wife is French. We, we have three boys um, who used to be Irish after seven, eight years in France. I'm not so sure anymore. Um, but we came out, we came out for a year um, and I'd reached, whenever you make a transition, I think in your job, there's always push and there's always pull. 
um, at that stage in my in my career in the hospital, I was starting to look around. I guess um, I'd achieved what I felt I could achieve. I felt like the unit needed different leadership, better better leadership in some ways than I was able to offer. And fortunately, they found it um, with with the with the current uh, clinical director, uh, who was in lots of ways everything I I am not um, very 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 good guy. Um, but the push was that it was a kind of a, a desire for something else. Um, there's kind of different levels of motivation there as well. Like you know, if, if going very deeply. Um, I was looking at my career as going, okay, do I want to spend the next 20, 25 years of my career in, in, in the health service or do I want to explore a bit? Um, and at a very deep level, I guess my father, um, who uh, worked uh, as, a, as a pediatrician for, for 30 odd years, used to say he always wanted to do some research but felt unable to make that change. And I thought at that moment in time, I thought, well, maybe I'll do this for my dad. In you know, and I'm obviously I'm a psychologist, so so I think very deeply about these things. Um, but there was some connection for me in that, in, in going to explore. So I went to explore. Um, everybody was convinced I would do terribly, um, but this was this was the deal. Uh, I'd get a year in France, um, get beaten up in the classroom. Uh, and go back to Ireland, um, having having had an adventure. And in, in, like, just to be clear, at that stage, I think, like, I used to do regular teaching in Trinity with groups of twelve. Um, I had never taught uh, a class of thir- of fifty highly, high, <laughs> let's say, specialized um, students which are our MBAs, uh, they're, they're a certain, uh, they are a certain way. Um, so, yeah, I was convinced I would do terribly, but, they, but I didn't. Um, I did very, very well uh, to the point where the school took notice um, and offered me an extension and then offered, offered me a job. Um, and I think that that's what I like about this place. Uh, and so they, 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 try st- they try things out. Um, if they don't work, no harm done. If they work, then great. Um, and I've found a kind of a niche here where uh, most of my mistakes are seen as innovations, um, which is, which is um, yeah, it's a nice place to be in that regard. And, and what, are you, what, what mistakes are you proudest of most that are, well, that are innovations? Sorry, I'm just curious, because I love the way, because the mentality of putting that in the green zone rather than the red zone, have a go, in a sense. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's uh, it's very entrepreneurial here, um, and I, I think in that regard that there's a lot of freedom. There's a very very little bureaucracy. There there is bureaucracy, of course. Uh, it's it's a it's a higher higher education institution that goes with the goes with it, but very little in comparison to to other schools. Um, so you're able to get things done very quickly. We, we, it is a very high-paced environment. Um, you know, our MBA is one of the most intense in the world. Um, so things need to happen quickly. Um, my biggest mistake, well, you know, even when you when you say the word mistake and sort of go, hmm. Like for me, I, I think 
it, it's cliched, but uh, is it a learning opportunity or is it a mistake? Um, and I, I've learned a lot and I've learned very painful, painful lessons. And the biggest surprising one was I was brought in uh, in 2017 to lead our personal leadership development um, program here, uh, which is offering leadership development coaching to to our MBAs. So to give you an idea of scale, um, I am responsible for over a thousand people's leadership development coaching work every year. Um, I have a team of between, depending on depending on configurations, a team of anything up to uh, 35 coaches uh, working across two campuses um, w- with these people. And it, it's, it's an interesting challenge um, because for, many, for many, many reasons. But my, one of my biggest pain points was in 2007, when I designed this, I thought this was, this is amazing. This is untested. This is uh, the whole philosophy of the program was around choice and autonomy. Um, as in the MBAs were able to choose how how they use this resource in service of their leadership development, which to me made absolute sense. You know, they're not going to want to be t- told how to how to develop as a leader, and they hated it. They absolutely hated it, um, and I couldn't work out why. Um, and I met with obviously I met, met with the students, tried to understand it. Um, and understand what they were doing and some of the comments stayed with me um, like the, the, one of the comments was you know you expect us to drive a Ferrari and we don't even have a driving license um, so that was that stayed with me um, they needed more structuring they needed more support but also because of the intensity of the environment they hate choice um, they have decisions decisions take energy so they just want to be told what to do. So based on that, that experience, I absolutely pivoted the program and made it a lot more um, demanding with deliverables, with less, less ambiguity, uh, m- much more, much more do, do then learn type of approaches as opposed to you have this resource, how do you want to use it? Uh, and now it's it's evolved. Um, it's almost it's almost where I want it. It's evolved every every, every cohort. Um, next cohort. This so we're starting a new cohort in January. Um, it will also change based on the feedback from the current cohort, um, and and it's an evolving process. Gosh, that, that's really interesting. I mean, I know I know I shared with you offline that the reason I reached out to you, the fact that you're. A fellow Irish, Irish, Irish person, as well, was a, a, a young man called Dara Highland, <clears throat> in, who's actually in one of your cohorts. And he said, we had this Irish guy, our first day lectures, he was just brilliant. He'd everybody just, ah. So something's working to get that mm-hmm. feedback from that. And, and I, he, Dara has also shared with me, it's an intense, uh, it's an intense full-on course. You know, yeah. just, they've just finished their exams last week. They yeah. got some time off assignments and they kick off again the start of, start of January. Um, and I was over there and you see people from around the world, that learning environment you talked about moving from the clinical hospital situation into that. And you people from Argentina, from Mexico, from Ghana, Kwame from Ghana. Mm-hmm. 
and just hearing them all talk and hearing them talk about different, similar things in different ways and bringing their perspectives. I was imbued having spending Thanksgiving for a couple of hours. So uh, something's working in whatever yeah. you're doing uh, in the yeah. positive. Um, there, there, there's criticism of the NBA uh, uh, and um, so wh- what, do you, what do you say to that? Because uh, is people throwing rocks because they can? Um, it's, it's, it's the transformational change in their words. So someone goes in and then they come out. What do they come out with in very simplistic terms? Uh, that depends in very simplistic terms. Uh, that depends. It depends on what, uh, what you're open to and what you're not. Um, like that, that lecture uh, that Dara was referring to is, is a lecture I do at the start of every every cohort, um, and I ask them, I ask them pretty straightforward questions like, "Why are you here?" Um, and then I ask them, "No, seriously, why are you here?" Um, and it's interesting the, the range of responses. Um, some people use this space um, as a trans- as a transitional identity space where where they learn about themselves what what their values really are uh who they who they really want to be um others just use it because they want to go faster on the hamster wheel um and if that's what they want that's what they want um uh, so what you get out of it is is really what you put into it um you know just like life um it, it's not it's not a, a product that you can consume passively um it is a product that you shape through your experience through your choices um i honestly don't know enough about the the criticism about the mbas more globally i do understand that some some of the figures are indicating that that the demand for MBAs is, is diminishing somewhat. Um, I just don't know. I just don't know enough about that to, to comment. Um, we, have a, we have a healthy demand here. Um, but, but the diversity of uh, desire or the diversity of intent amongst pro- prospective students is just massive, massive. But the cro- cross learnings must be to me. It's watching those. I say shouldn't say kids. I get shot for that. But mm-hmm. watching the 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 opi- worldwide opinions in a room of what yeah. they thought of it, of of, a, of something that's it's a knucklehead, and you say, oh, I never thought to look at it that way. And yeah. to me, learnings about the small increment that your mind just gives a different lens to say, I never thought to look at it that way. Which means then I now have a whole new yeah. uh, dimension or propensity to actually contribute. To the yeah. group or to my organization or to my bosses yeah 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 no these people are very bright um very very bright and very very um very very well traveled um mostly uh, yeah. can, can we talk about burnout uh, i know we uh-huh. talked before going online and everybody's on zoom and we're on zoom now I, i'm in dublin and you're in fontainebleau um what's your thoughts around it now particularly pandemic related has, has it accelerated uh, because of these things or has it always been there? And are there any signs uh, that people could say, I'm kind of burnt out here, I need to put my hand up? Or, um, Like, like the, the pandemic, the pandemic has created, created like this working from home stuff. Um, 
is 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 a mixed blessing, um, an absolutely mixed blessing because the boundaries between work and and home are are blurred. Now let let me go off on one for a moment. Like when we talk about burnout, um, or sorry. When people talk about stress, they're more often to be like they're more likely to be talking about potential burnout. So our sensitivity to to burnout is is gone in lots of ways. We should be a lot more sensitive to it. Um, that's number one. Um, number two, burnout is not an individual's responsibility. So. What I mean by that is if you're leading a group, if you have in your mind that I shouldn't be asking people how they are, then you're not doing your job and in a very clear way. Burnout is, is, is a systemic issue primarily. Uh, well, not primarily, but also. Um, but we tend to understand burnout as an individual issue. Um, and that suits us because that lets us off the hook uh, when we're working with other people. Uh, it's like, oh, you know, Derek has had a bad day. Well, you know, Derek might have had a bad day because you were a pain in the arse all day. Um, you know, so that kind of systemic thinking is really, really important when it comes to burnout. Now, a friend of mine um, here, Giampiero Petroglieri, has, has written about, you know, his experience and the experience of of pandemic working and his his the way he puts it which i think is important is it's not virtual work it's remote work we are remote from each other now when we're remote from each other it means that we 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 don't have the usual social cues we don't have the usual um sense of uh, community or group or togetherness or organizational identity, all of those usual psychological containers are remote. Um, so we're left to our own devices uh, a bit more. Now, for us introverts, that, that suits us in some respects, but for I know for some extroverts, <laughs> whew, it's been tough. Um, and then the, our, our access to each other are, is through, through these screens, uh, with microphones, with, with headphones. It's just we don't have the smell of each other, which um, can be both reassuring but also irritating, I guess. Um, but in some ways, it is a, it's, it's interesting. It's, like, it's a prison of access in some respects. Um, it's a prison because it's, it's not the same. Uh, but also when you look around at people, people are much more accessible uh, than they were before. Um, you know, from an efficiency point of view, you could argue that uh, conducting your meetings on Zoom is better. Um, you know, you can swap, you know, I just, I just noticed this about a couple of weeks ago when I had a meeting in person. I actually, I forgot that I had to walk to the meeting, uh, which of course meant that I was 10 minutes late and I was like, oh, you know. That was a bit dumb. Those kind of things. But back to, you know, burnout. Um, yeah, burnout, burnout is, 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 for me, a systemic thing. Um, the context of people's work. Um, people are very sensitive to taking in toxic work environments um, and interpreting them at an individual level. 
as opposed to interpreting them at, a, at an organizational level. And that's, in some respects, um, well, uh, a collusion, I guess, by the organization. It's like it suits the organization not not to take to take responsibility for, for the for the for the toxicity. So that, that's that's we won't worry about that. We just drive ahead. That kind of thing, um, or that's Derek. That's that individual's problem. Um, you know, there's something wrong with them, as opposed to, well, what what are the conditions with which we want to uh, want want this person to work on? Like a friend of mine shared with me a, a metaphor. It's like you know, you could be an Olympic swimmer, but if you're swimming in in um, in toxic water, you're going to fail. That's a that's a that's a really star. Very very, gosh, that's a, an image. That 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 lands. And how does how does an organization change? So I mean, it's the leadership at the top that has to change. Like you're working with leaders and right around the world at levels. How do you get them to change? How do you say, "Here's the mirror, guys and girls"? Uh, it it takes courage to make changes, um, and uh, you know, I think people are creatures of habit. I think we are more comfortable with the familiar painful than the unfamiliar. Um, we, we're more likely to go, ah, sure, we'll do it tomorrow, it's fine, that kind of stuff. Lots and lots of excuses to ma manage and maintain the status quo. Um, so taking ma making a change in some respects involves acknowledging that you were you were wrong, um, which is which is difficult. Um, you know, um, and then changes change. You know, you you can't change on your own. You 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 need a you need momentum. You need social contagion. You need you need people to want it. You need, you need a, a lot of um, enough enough of uh, well resources, support, um, and incentives for change. Uh, and with your team, you're 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 helping people change in effect to see the world slightly differently through their own eyes. Hmm. How how do you bring them on that journey? <clears throat> how do your how do your your colleagues bring them? And each is very unique and special, and no, very rarely any two situations are the same because everybody has a different view on it. Hmm. What we try to do, I, I actually I'm not so sure whether I'm involved in change or I'm involved in helping people develop their lens to pay attention to the weak signals in their world that actually influences them hugely. Um, you know, when you think about different levels of analysis versus, you know, the individual, the group, the organization, all of these kind of things have, have different um, impacts on how, how we show up and how we're understood. Um, so I, I think I spend most of my time getting people to try and understand what the status quo is and why. Um, before and then it's up to them whether they want to change it or not. If you can understand your deal with the world, then um, then you're in a position to try and nego negotiate it. If you don't understand your deal with the world, then wh why the hell are you making a change? So this takes the emotion out of it. Here, here, here are the options on your plate. Uh -huh. um, what do you think is best for you? Here's what the world might be saying, right or wrongly. This could be a good choice, or maybe your coach is saying, well, maybe this is a green a green choice rather than red choice. Um, it's just to get put them to maybe hopefully that they can maybe find a different lens to look at stuff. 
Yeah, but that lens is also emotional. That lens is, is primarily emotional. Um, like on my coaching program, I, I direct uh, the NCI coaching certificate, uh, which is an open enrollment program for, for coaching skills. Like it, I found myself saying in one of the classes, um, never waste a strong reaction. Um, and they were like, what do you mean? I said, look, if you're that provoked by something, pay attention to it and try and understand why. Like emotions are fundamentally our, our greatest source of data uh, about ourselves and the world. So um, I am, you know, but like 5%, 5% of our brain capacity is, is rational thought. Uh, I can I can find the, the 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 reference for that if you like, but if you think about that, ninety five percent of what's going on for us is, is irrational, 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 or or basic kind of you know function functional stuff that's going on in our brain. Now, the question then becomes, why is why do we prioritize rationale? Why do we prioritize logic? If if we are by by virtue of of our existence incredibly irrational beings, um, there's something going on there as well. Like part of our part of my my job, I feel is um, to help people to embrace their their irrational side and, and and value it, as opposed to see it as something that they need to contain, control, uh, hide hide under personas of person. Or, professionalism it's just like no this is who you are as messy as you are this is who you are just to feel safe yeah or or yeah maybe maybe yeah. just maybe to feel safe or yeah this kind of left brain idea of you know covering your ass or something yeah, that kind of thing as opposed to valuing your intuition going with your gut all of these things that really move us but sometimes education has been Accused of or, or of, of, of of particularly coming maybe from our shared Irish education system, which was reasonably binary. <clears throat> Basically, you did what they wanted you to do, and if you did did it well, you did well. <clears throat> if you didn't, well, that was your fault, not their fault. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, and, and, and that's it. Can you share any any uh, funny, amusing stories around? Well, not been in coaching sessions, but people strong. The strong reaction stories, you know, uh, and the funny ones that someone just emotionally responds, no way I'm doing that, that or that. And then then a bit of discussion is saying, oh, gosh, yes, I can do that, that and that. But I just suddenly said no, because whatever way I'm wired. Um, I, I always feel it's a bit of a setup when somebody says, tell me a funny story, because then you get evaluated on your your answer and whether whether it's actually funny or not is more often up to other people. Um, the things that I found amusing... Um, like coaching, coaching is 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 an interesting space because you know you you really get to you get to know somebody in that space when coaching sessions go well. Um, like the, a couple of things, um, uh, I, I I actually I worked as a coach um, because we were short staffed on our first uh, one of our first women's leadership programs, um, and. Uh, I was allocated to a group as as you as you as you always are, and I walked in, and there was an Irish woman there uh, who I'm, I'm still in contact with, and she goes, "Oh, for God's sake, a man!" 
<laughs> and then I said, hello. And then she said, oh, God, an Irish man. You know, she, she had ran away from Ireland to get to get away from Irish men. Uh, she was having a problem in her executive team, obviously. Anyway, uh, so we started off on that foot. Um, and as I say, we fair play to her. We were able to work. What, what advice, advice is the wrong word, but your thoughts around that? 20-year-old, 21-year-old, 23-year-old. And I know you're working with, obviously, a cohort of, of, of younger people within, within, within the uh, college there, in a sense of, so you're familiar. But I'm just curious, you know, people now, they're off, they got to be in the red zone. We're at home in, uh, what was the, not, not remote working? It was remote? Yeah, remote working. Remote working, which, yeah, in itself is kind of, um, doesn't, doesn't, doesn't actually, when you say it, it doesn't think of it, it doesn't land as kind of, wow, uh, how do you say, listen, you know, it, the world's been a bit dark. How do they say there is a future? How do they get themselves appropriately ready to go forward? So when they talk to potential employers or they want to make decisions, they can make the best decisions. Is there anything that they can, you would advise, you would coach, coach is the wrong word. It is coaching, but sort of simple kind of, here's some, here's four or five steps you might think about where you are. Um. I think, I come to, you know, I'm sort of re reflecting back to where I was when I was age 22, 21, 22, um, and the kind of things I was interested in um, and, and my aspirations at that stage. Um, I think, like, well, firstly, no matter what age, you need people around you um, who, are, who love you enough to disagree with you. Um, who love you enough to really challenge your thinking, um, who are going to invest in you by telling you that, that you're, you're full of shit when you are full of shit. Now, at the age of 22, maybe I'm saying too much about myself here, but I was, yeah, I was completely full of shit at that age. Um, and, and that's okay. That's okay. But in, in lots of ways, the... The best advice I think I would give somebody at that age is no decision at this stage is fatal. Um, and in lots of ways, every decision should be somewhat short term, as in what is the chunk of learning about myself I want to do in the next 12 months? And how am I gonna how am I gonna engineer the opportunities for that learning to happen? Um, like we what the way I encounter students here is they've, they often have over-invested in technical skills in, in having the knowledge, having, having, having the competencies, and they under-invest in, in basic humanity. Excuse me. And what I mean by basic humanity is trying to understand what their inner world is telling them about them. You know, so you go, you know, we, well, certainly I did as well. Like my first job, I, I had a, it's funny, I was going to say a horrible boss, but he wasn't a horrible boss. He, he was a narcissistic boss. Um, uh, but the story I told myself at that stage was I had to, I had to endure it as opposed to giving myself the freedom to go, no, you know, I'm going to step away from this. Um, but that's I, I would I would encourage people to not foreclose to explore 
uh, try different stuff out. Um, don't waste your youth um, on on jumping into something that sort of dictates the next 10 years of your life because the next 10 years of your life will look very, very different. That's a great answer. I have someone very close to me who's 96 and fought in a war. Mm. And mm. On, on three continents and talks about a war winning a, a banana eating competition and getting constipated, you know. But, and then he went to college at 26, 27, but obviously a very brilliant, very brilliant person. Mm. Uh, and uh, he, he was telling the stories yesterday. He snuck into St. Vincent's Hospital and got in to meet a pal of his to bring in pajamas. Yeah. yeah. He went into the private hospital, into the public hospital, which is breaking all the rules. Yeah. But with a, saying hello to everybody as he walked by and gave this guy, and that was his mission. That was his humanity. This yeah. man needed his, his, his mate needed pajamas, which he'd bought in Italy on his trip a month ago, which were funny looking but, uh, pajamas. But that sense of openness. Yeah. And maybe the war of being away at 18, being bombed and shot at, and life has been lived every day. And they're, they're, but when you hear a man like that at the end, well, he wants to get to 100, hopefully he will get to 100. Mm. Uh, but that's his view. He's like that 22 year old. I'm going to give it a go. Yeah. Yeah. Great. It's, yeah. it's, it's, it, 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 it's interesting. Networking on that journey of, of, of discovery, thoughts, because you said you had some good people around you. Yeah. Uh, um, did you know you had good people around you, or did you just kind of accidentally fall into them? And then younger people now, where there's a bit, people are more aware of maybe reaching out to people, and say, "Listen, can I pick your brains?" Um, it's like networking, in lots of ways, has has a bad press. It's it's sort of under it's understood as instrumental. It's understood as transactional. Uh, but actually, it's you know if you, if you can develop your story about networking, then it actually becomes something of of a of a an adventure. Um, now you know when I first came here uh, in twenty fourteen, I, I would have considered myself the worst networker around. Um, but I would also have realized that one uh, I had two, three colleagues who were excellent at it um, and they networked on my behalf um, in lots of ways. Uh, they, they sort of, they did the, did the heavy lifting initially in terms of making contacts, um, you know, sh sharing potential opportunities, values, or a value, uh, that kind of thing. Um, but there's a colleague of mine, Professor Noah Askin. Uh, if you look him up on on LinkedIn, he's a he often does this thing, which is really cool. Um, he just publishes his um, his office hours on on LinkedIn and just says, you know, just book him, whoever you are, book him. Now he is a he's a raving extrovert, uh, you know, and I'm I would be at the, <laughs> the other end of that. Um, you know, I teach for a day, I'm exhausted. He teaches for a day, he's full of beans. Um, but those kind of little things are making yourself available, I think, are, is important. But asking asking for help, um, particularly for, for people starting out in their career, most people are happy uh, to offer help if it doesn't cost them too much. Um, and actually, 
there's some research that suggests if you if you give somebody an opportunity to be generous, they gain more from the transaction than you do. Um, so don't be afraid to to ask people for help. Uh, most people will be delighted to if they're not too busy. And don't be put off by someone might just say, no, it's just a bad day for them. Yeah. And they might say, yes, the next day, but to be listening. That's true. That's true. There's um, another little uh, exercise. Uh, an, uh, an ex-colleague of mine used to have a, a negotiations class do, and it would be collect 10 no's in a day. I like that. And see what you learn. Um and one of his students got all the way to a conversation with the CEO of his dream organization it, through that exercise because he kept ringing all the gate, gate, gatekeepers in the organization, expecting them to say no, and none of them did. Uh, so he, he got he, so it's funny. Um, if you have an attitude of um, it's okay if I get rejected, then go for it, you know. What's the worst that can happen? You, you will be, people will say, no, it's not, it's not the end of the world. Collect 10 no's in a day. I just think that's a fabulous, fabulous. Uh, uh, and then analyze them and figure out how you do it better the next time. Exactly. Or, you know, uh, and, and see if you can actually get to, get to 10. Instant it's feedback. Not... Moving to France, and obviously, mm-hmm. what's the, what was the change for you, if, if I may ask, from the point of view of French culture? Uh, uh, settling in, what were the differences? Um, well, my wife is French, um, so I was kind of expecting um, it to be easy, and I think it was easier for us than than other other people who who aren't um, who aren't French. Uh, but I remember we were here for about a month, and my wife just said, "Now I realise why I moved to Ireland." Um, the bureaucracy here is off the chart um, in lots of ways. That, that was a big culture shock. Um, but also at, at a kind of an interpersonal level, you know, little things you, you'd notice, like suddenly I started hearing people being evaluated on whether they said good morning or not. Like, uh, would we ever do that in Ireland? I don't know. You know? No. But it was like, oh yeah, that's a person who says bonjour. You know, it's like, Oh, okay, that there's a there's a type of person who says bonjour, and of course I usually walk around um, with my head in the sky or somewhere else. Like I very rarely notice people around me, so I was I was realized I fell into the category of he's a person who doesn't say bonjour. Um, school very different, children's schools very very different, um, and that was that was probably the biggest culture shock. Uh, we went, our, our kids were in a wonderful school um, uh, in, uh, in Dublin, our two oldest, and they were quite young at the time. But they went from a, a kind of a child-centered approach in Dublin to, a, you know, you join the system or, or, you, or you leave kind of approach in France. It was a big shock. Um, you know, and I, I think we're, after seven, eight years, I think we're almost used to it. Yeah. Uh, but it's uh, yeah, that was a big. Yeah, it's like the French education is is a story of attrition. Uh, that's how they, how they work. Well, you, you see uh, French ski instructors uh, get up, keep moving. Exactly. You know, uh, there is that. What's your problem? You exactly. Know? Yeah. Maybe maybe goes back to the to the to the the Empire days and that sense of the DNA or genetics are there. 
keep moving yeah. forward, keep marching. And uh, yeah. uh, areas like that. <clears throat> Your own stress. I mean, you talked about the chronic going back when you were in the yeah. uh, in, in your your medical days per se. Um, your own stress. How do you how do you recognize it, or what do you do to ameliorate it? Um, it's it's a bit well, it's a, it's a bit like that cliche: phys, physician heal thyself. Um, there's things I tell other people, and then there's things that I do don't do. Um, I I work too much. Um, I I had like. Uh, I wouldn't be, to be honest with you, and I, I wouldn't be a, a beacon of of health management right now. Um, after after teaching as much as I've taught since August, um, the 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 break is, is is a good thing to have. Um, but what we what we do as a group is we, you know, I mentioned my tribe. We, we do most of my programs involve groups of seven, eight professionals who are intently invested in each other um, in service of, of the, the work that we do. So we would do a lot of, spend a lot of time processing um, our experiences together and work, working that out. So, you know, when we work on a program, we have, we have a few principles. One is we would never ask anybody to do anything we're not willing to do ourselves. Um, we also try and um, work with the emotions and work with the experiences in the present. So at the end of the program, there's a certain so there's a certain level of self care, self development built into all of our programs. Um, what I do, um, I got, well, what I tell people is, um, in in order to sort of manage your well being, you need uh, developmental projects in in each of the systems in that, that you care about like work like family like self and you you allow those developmental projects to compete fairly uh, so you might deny work uh, at some point in, in favor of a self project uh, you might deny self in, in favor of, of a, a family project or a family based project and when you have those up and running, uh, then you're then you're in a better place to encounter the world. Uh, so most of us fall out, or, or you know, fall out of balance um, at periods of time. And where you catch me now, I'm completely out of balance. Uh, I need to get back to reading books. I need to get back to exercising regularly. Um, and you know, our family project is is a long long term one. Um, so that that's pay more attention to that. Uh, the, the French have a great phrase, "le troisième mi-temps," which is uh, you probably need a bit of the troisième mi-temps, <clears throat> the third half, uh, uh, yeah, which yeah, yeah. is 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 for the from the from the pay basket. Derek, yeah. listen, I, well, my last question to you, and it's been fascinating, and I, to to hear you, you've been the so called introvert, which I don't think you are, but yeah. who am I to? To, uh, to, to challenge you, but you, just your, your quiet authority and how you've presented. I've taken buckets of notes here and, and just you've given me, thank you, you've given me some stuff to, to have a little, little, little look at. Um, five, five words to describe your journey so far, you know, just for you. And, and you've gone through lots of, lots of big changes, in effect, which most people wouldn't do from that 
clinical, very dedicated profession to jumping off the cliff big time? Mm. Um, I don't know. Um, five words. It could be three words. I mean, I, it's more. Uh, you know, what what would you? What would the kind of what comes to mind? It's. Uh, Well, welcome. This is this doesn't answer your question in the way you wanted it, but but I'm I'm really quite curious to see see what the final chapter is. Um, it's a bit like, uh, uh, yeah, like I started off in in forensic uh, psychiatry, moved into forensic child clinical work, uh, pivoted into into business school. I do I do a bit of uh, startup work as well currently. Um, I'm I'm quite curious to see what happens next. Okay, I think that's a really good way to to finish off uh, our, our chat, Derek. I really appreciate for uh, for uh, um, you coming on board. I'm sorry I didn't say bonjour to you on 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 starting off the day. My, that's apolo- okay. my apologies about that. And um, uh, I, I I know people will get a great a great amount out of this. So just a little bits of of a very simple words you've drawn across which are very powerful okay i I tried not to use big words (laughs) thank you so much Derek. thank you for listening to the career scoop brought to you by elevate career advice and elevate executive selection dublin and bermuda i'm james fitzsimons and i hope you've enjoyed listening bye